and Marco Collins. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you, Glenn? Excellent, man. I'm doing really good. Really good. Um, you look fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I have a new camera. I yeah, just got a, a new webcam, and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> it looks great. Yeah, man. Um, it has all kinds of weirdo effects, too. It's a lot of fun. Ah, that's awesome, man. That is awesome. Um, so I know you went, you know, you went through a health scare, you know, fairly yeah. recently. Um, yep. And you look fantastic, man. Oh, um, thank you. I, I've changed my life pretty dramatically over the last three and a half years. Um, yeah. Made big changes to my health and stopped drinking, stopped doing drugs. Mm -hmm. Only took 25 years to get there. Um, but yeah, I had, I ended up getting testicular cancer, which was a oh, total mind fuck. Can we swear on, we can't swear. Yeah, oh, please do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, man, I mean, you know, I lost both of my parents to cancer. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, something that happens in my family. Um, so when I got it, it really freaked me out and. I took it really seriously and thank God I had stopped any kind of partying about a year or two prior to that. So, um, you know, I think it made me recovering, uh, my recovery a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was fucking hell and yeah. I'm still, you know, suffering the consequences of chemo. Like right. I didn't realize how much chemo ravaged your fucking body. Oh, it's and, horrible, dude. Horrible. It's like I have the neuropathy now. I didn't know what that was before, but all of a sudden I was at a film festival in San Diego and my hands and feet went numb. And I was like, oh, you've got back issues, which <laughs> this is the old curmudgeon. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is yeah. appropriately yeah. named show. Cancer. <laughs> yeah. uh, survival. I mean, that's that's what my uh, sort of the theme to my life would be over the last four years. Um, but, you know, dealing with the neuropathy now, which is intense. And, you know, chemo just really the kind of chemo they gave me was pretty intense as well. And I had like seven days so i'd have five days seven hours a day in a row of chemo and then i'd have two weeks off of vomiting and nausea oh, God. and then i start again i did that for three months and thank god the kind of cancer i had is not something it's isolated so it you know spreads to a tumor in your gut but um I'm in full remission, have been for a year and a half now. Oh, that's good. Yeah, with good. testing, nonstop testing. Um, but thank God it was probably, if, if you were going to get cancer, it's the easiest type to mm -hmm. eat. Yeah, I, I've, I've known a couple of people who have got cancer multiple times. And the second time or third time, they're like, fuck chemo. They're just like, I, you know, it, it was harder to deal with than having the cancer yeah man um it's just poison and my body you know i figured i've done every drug in the world i'm cold turkey detoxed off really intense drugs i figured you can handle this you've been here before chemo ain't shit until right. i had chemo and right 
you know, I ended up, I mean, there were a couple of times I had to go to the ER because my white blood cells, my red blood cell, everything was fucked. I spent, I spent a week in the hospital, uh, in the isolation wing at UW, um, getting antibiotics intravenously like night and day, every four hours, they'd hook up a new bag. Uh, it was intense, man. It was an intense struggle. Yeah. but I'm feeling a lot better. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you actually, you sound better and, and dare I say, look better, you Thank know, you. than you did, you know, four or five years ago, even. So, you know, it's, well, yeah. sometimes we need those <laughs> weird little wake up calls, you know, <laughs> it's strange, man. People that I run into now are like, wow, you look so much better than you did the last 10 years of your life and I, you know, I mean when you stop putting drugs in your body things change you know sure i stopped dyeing my hair i let my natural hair color come out mm. and it, you know i mean i look at pictures and think oh you've aged but other people look and they're like wow you look very different and right i just have to take other people's uh yeah. you know i have to let that sink in a little bit Right. I mean, well, it, it's when you look in the mirror, you see something entirely different. Oh, of course. You know, um, and other people are like, oh, you look great. Or, or God, you look like shit. You know, and like, you can't really tell looking in the mirror. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You don't notice. And I'll look back at pictures or, you know, I did that documentary and I look back at scenes in that doc and I'm like, oh, there's one scene in the beginning of that movie where. I wasn't sober for the entire shooting of that film. And it's obvious. Like some scenes I look like I've lost 20 pounds. Other scenes I look like I've been up for a week, you know, because mm -hmm. I have. And um, I'm not real proud looking back at that film. Uh, I, I wish I had been sobered filming mm -hmm. that film, but I mean, it is what it is. It's a picture in my life. It's a, you know, a moment in my life that um, that that's what was going on. Right. So. Um, yeah, and it's a very. Um, I finally watched it a couple of years ago. Um, found it on on uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Um, and I was, um, you know, kind of amazed by by the honesty, you know, that you showed in that, because a lot of people wouldn't. You know, they they were yeah. trying to gloss over the shitty parts and um, you didn't do that. Well, what's funny about that is um, my real dear friends that watched it were like, what a bunch of whitewashed pile of shit that is. Like, because we didn't go as far into the gutter as we could have. And that was a decision on my director's part. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things were way worse than I portrayed them in the film. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, there were certain terms that we used in the film that, uh, you know, I'll just say, instead of saying I was smoking crack, I'd say I was doing cocaine, you know? Uh, I mean, right. like, <laughs> That's the old addict's way of, of like, see, it's not that bad. Right. You know, I, exactly. I did, what I did wasn't so, that bad. It was, it was tough, man, because... When that film uh, happened, my father was alive. My sister obviously is alive. And she, uh, I just didn't want 
especially with my dad, I didn't want a ton of shame coming down on him. I didn't want him to be embarrassed. Um, I think he was a little bit anyway. Right. <laughs> um, but I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be so forthcoming that we made a film that was shocking, you know, or that my father didn't even know about me or, you know, I had family that was alive. So I didn't, I was totally down with not going into the gutter as far as we could go. So I appreciate that you said um, that it seems like there was a level of honesty there because the entire time I felt like I'm not being a hundred percent honest, you know? Right. Well, some, some things you have to keep to yourself in, in a very small group of friends, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, One of my yeah. best friends was like, that's such bullshit. Dude. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, why didn't you just go for it? And I'm like, I kind of went for it. Like, you know, um, I was honest about a lot of stuff. I just wasn't honest about how far down I'd actually gone. How, right. how, you know, into the gutter I actually was um, at times. And, you know, um, you know, my, my roommate, or not my roommate, I'm sorry, uh, my director wanted to get it on Prime. He wanted to get it, you know, mm -hmm. he wanted a, a film that was uh, family, somewhat of a family-oriented <laughs> wanted to get it on amazon prime let's put it that right. way <laughs> yeah so yeah uh, i mean the, the other extreme of that sort of of you know autobiographical sort of thing is is uh do you know tommy hansen yeah i do tommy I, yeah okay because, uh, have, you, have you read american junkie you loved it loved it yeah so that's the entire i'm trying to get him on the show too but speaking of a curmudgeon man he's, he's just like no, I just had kidney or kidney stone surgery, blah, you know, I can't. Yeah. You know, before that it was something else, but I love him, dude. I yeah, it's fascinating. You know, did you did you so you read the book? Yeah, multiple times, yeah. Did you uh did you go to the performance, the play? I missed that. I mean, uh, I think I was out of town that weekend. It was so good. Um and that's where I met Tom for the first time. I yeah. might have met him back in the day though. I'm or, sure. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back in the day um but we actually were able to talk and you know we've been online friends for a long time and um yeah. i love the book but i really love the play like the yeah. way the director laid out that his story was pretty intense and he was pretty fucking honest not only in the book he said stuff that yeah there's that level of honesty so i've been working on um for the last two and a half years, um, a performance with this Seattle rep. And mm -hmm. um, I've been working with one of their writers and we go over this on a regular basis. How honest do you wanna be? How far along do you wanna, you know, right. what story do you wanna tell? And I've also been working on another movie for the past five years. Mm -hmm. um, once the doc came out, I got approached by a production company uh, out of Los Angeles that wanted to turn it into a feature narrative film. So we've been working on that for a long time. It seems like forever to me. Um, and finally, the guy that I've been writing with, uh, with the Seattle rep, I we'd gone through two script writers and just couldn't really get the story honed 
Um, and then I brought in, you know, the guy that I'd been writing with, Rob Knopp. You know Rob? I don't know Rob, no. Rob uh, played in Harvey Danger for a while. Um, he was in a number of different bands. He's in a new band called Sevens, uh, but he's worked with a Seattle Rep Theater forever. Great writer. Um, and so now he's writing for the film. And I haven't talked about any of this shit, by the way. Oh, excellent. Good. I kept it off my social media. Just, <laughs> you know, until we have something to announce, I feel like, why, why even bait it? Right. You know? But I'm bringing it up now because when I sit down with Rob, I'm like, how honest can we be? Like, how intense of a performance... I've been going to Seattle rep performances to watch some of these solo uh, monologues, dialogues, and there's a lot of, you know, seasoned pass holders who are a little bit older. Right. Maybe, you know, some of the dialogue <laughs> might be a little intense. Um, mm -hmm. I swear a lot, you know, so yeah. trying to figure out what that performance looks like, people. Uh, is interesting just walking that line you yeah know? without a doubt i mean you know i wouldn't worry so much i mean the rep is at least traditionally been very open to you know some some more uh not so not so mainstream sort of production so i i wouldn't worry about that too much you know yeah. um and i think the most important thing of course is is to have that honesty to it you know, and if you're if you're writing something down and, and a line comes to your head that normally you would be like, end with, you know, motherfucker and you don't put it in there, it's just not going to be as it's not going to be the same thing. I yeah. agree. And especially if I'm performing, uh, which the idea, shit, I don't want to like lay it all out. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the idea is, you know, I'm kind of doing a radio show slash telling stories and playing records and um some video content and uh, interview content. I'm just giving it all away. Um, yeah, man, it's just, you know, like the thing I loved about Tom Hansen's stuff is his is very basketball diaries. And I Absolutely. love that about it. Yeah. He talks about, you know, dealing dope to Kurt. He talks about, you know, getting, doing, having gay sex for money like he talks mm -hmm. about some intense stuff and yeah. um right now that's that's kind of what i'm trying to figure out how how guttural we go yeah. you know well uh, there's 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 a lot of stories like that out there that um and there's sort of a a, a dearth of of actual writings about them you know, so there, there are all these people out there, you know, like yourself, like Tommy, like, you know, a bunch of people who went through this really dark, deep time. Yeah. And I, I think it's important, actually, for kids to read that in such a way that it's not romanticized. Well, yeah. And there's mm -hmm. consequences to it. You know, right. you make those decisions and there's consequences. Um, you know, in a film... I feel like you can portray that edginess, like, you know, like I told I told Rob, like, let's go there for the film. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, um, my father's passed, my mother's passed now. Okay. I don't have <laughs> everybody else to deal with the hard hardcore stuff. My right. let it all out, man. <laughs> yeah. So 
you know, for a movie, that's one thing. For the Seattle Rep performance that we've been writing, I'm sure it'll be a bit tamer. It's going to be probably a bit more aimed at the music side of things. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting um, challenge for me. Yeah. Well, so. another reason I like like the the glamour and the squalor. Jesus, it's hard to say that the glamour and the squalor yeah. is. Um, you're basically explaining what what a lot of people think that that people who are in your position would be doing does that make any sense so people would assume you know like hey here's this dj he knows extraordinarily well known um you know obviously you know he's he's partying with the rock stars and you know whatnot and you know he's going to end up in this situation um and that's why i think it's 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 awesome that you put the squalor at the end right because a lot of people would just see it as the glamour right yeah, and maybe some when we saw this it's a squalor, but yeah, know, putting them together is perfect. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, the the drug addiction and alcohol issues um, followed me for a very long time, and and you know, uh, and fucked up my life in right. so many ways that I'm still paying for and will pay for forever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's definitely consequence to to going out there that far, you know, going out yeah. on on the edge that far, and that yeah. that is where where the name came from. Um, it was the name of my first radio show ever, which is ironic. It was a college radio show, and they mm -hmm. loved the name. We had a couple other names uh, lined up for the film, and they just loved that name. And I came up with it just because. You know, musicians go through that. It's all, everything appears to be so glamorous. Mm -hmm. But then there's this other side of, you know, having to do these shitty jobs to stay alive, having to, mm -hmm. you know, live in conditions that just aren't sexy at all. Right. Um, you know, so yeah. it worked for the show and it, I felt like it worked for the movie too. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Yeah, there is that, that, well, first of all, people don't realize how easy it is to fall from a, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing a couple of lines on a weekend to, you know, my entire life is revolving around this. Like it happens. Yeah. Almost instantaneously. You don't, yeah. you don't know what's happening either. Right. So, or rather, I think you do, you just, it's impossible to admit it to yourself. You know, right? like you, you know, you're doing an eight ball now instead of a gram and you know that, you know, yeah, the things are, so I'm one of those guys that I never had a problem admitting that I had drug problems or that I was an addict. I wasn't in denial at all over that stuff. I just didn't want to stop. I, to me, to me, I was, I was obviously trying to find something uh, and figure out something. Uh, also, you know, we have a long line of, of, uh, addicts and alcoholics in my family. Um, mm -hmm. so genetically it was already, you know, handed down. Um, but there were moments I made choices. I, instead of this, this amazing career, I'd rather spend, I made choices right. and, um, and I honestly can't even say that I regret them. I, um, I regret 
the way uh, I treated people. Mm-hmm. You know, people yeah. I loved. Um, I regret the uh, destruction of relationships, which all that shit happens, man. When yeah, you're when you're in love with cocaine and and drugs and alcohol and pills, um, you care very little about other people. And you know, I lost a lot of people that I really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what I regret uh, the most. The career thing, yeah, I'm struggling now. Right. So you know, I'm trying to like kind of piece things together now which is why I'm busting my ass on this other movie and writing for the sure. rep and, you know, trying to put together some sort of um, radio show or podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Now. Right. Get something going. Yeah. Man. Well, let's, let's definitely talk about that one offline. Okay. Cause yeah. I, I, I might have some interesting ideas for you. Okay. Um, you know, kind of take music into a slightly different direction, you know? Because we obviously already have streaming radio and whatnot, and you know streaming radio stations, and you know, like obviously, you know, the end is one or not the end. I'm sorry. Oop, Freudian slip. Um, KXP yeah. is one of the uh, um, you know originators of that, really. You know. Yeah. Um, but there are other ways, like kids nowadays listen to music in an entirely different way. Right. For example, but anyway, we can talk about all that offline. Um, you know, basically, kids see everything in like these six second or thirty second clips right. like that's that's what the, drives them and yeah um, and it's it's why all these songs are basically not all songs but a lot of modern songs nowadays are are um you know these very simple like 10 15 20 seconds intros that's repeated over and over and over and over and over throughout the song um because that's how kids think right it's like okay that catches my attention so much how kids think anymore i can't read a book I I've noticed either. that all of this digital shit that's coming at you a million miles an hour. I mean, I would say that I'm addicted to social media. Like, and definitely. I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm fine with that addiction, but it does take away from my ability to concentrate and focus. You know, I have a stack yes. of books on my bookshelf back there that I bought that I want to read that I just haven't, you know, I, I've gotten a halfway through Lanigan's book and I just it's really difficult for me to focus yeah I, um, I'm exactly the same way man um and ravenously when I was younger me too I love to read and I want to love to read again but it's fucking hard you know yeah, it is it, th- there's no instant gratification when you're reading right and I, I hate to boil it down to that but that's basically what it is yeah. You have to take the time. You got to put in the work. Yeah. Right? And, and it's super rewarding and it's wonderful. Um, but I'll find myself um, when I do decide to try to read again, um, I'm scanning. I'm not actually reading. Right. You know, like I'll read a sentence and then I'll, I'll be like five sentences later and have no idea what happened in between because my eyes are just like, you know, right. Those moving One all of around. my biggest challenges is I love movies. So. I watch a lot of independent films and, and movies that SIF releases mm-hmm. and a ton of that shit is subtitled. So my biggest thing is I'm on my damn phone while I'm watching movies. I'm texting, I'm texting, <laughs> and I missed chunks of films. I can't tell you how many times it's so hard for me to get through a subtitled film because I'm not focused and I'm rewinding. Hold on. You missed that part. Hold on. Like 
that's a big challenge for me is that focus mm -hmm. even to put into the art that i'm moved by <laughs> right you know, it's yeah it's a new world man it's a new it, world it is it is um and i recently just got over that where i'm able to actually watch like a full movie like it, it I, in years i just couldn't do it you know tv Have shows a full movie without looking at your phone uh, yeah i have i have um although my my girlfriend made me watch a bunch of movies or didn't make me watch we kind of just ended up watching um like three super horrible movies in a row and at one point <laughs> i look over we're like right next to each other in the couch and i look over and she's on her phone and i'm on my phone and the tv is on and we're kind of like glancing up every once in a while <laughs> you know well but i have uh and she's gonna crack up when she hears this i've got this thing about people talking when i'm watching anything just it just right. like, makes me crazy you know so it, it's basically if if um more than like two words two or three words are said they're like just quick little interjections in between people in the movie talking i'm okay yeah. with that okay. anything more i'm just like <sighs> you know because <laughs> so i'm trying to concentrate on what's going on right so yeah she <laughs> She gets angry at me because, you know, she's like, part of the fun of watching a show or a movie is talking about it. And I was like, yeah, after. <laughs> after you watch it. Right? it after, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, babe. Um, yeah. You know, letting out some of how the sausage is made, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. So what have you been doing? Okay, you're doing a, um, oh my God, I almost said the end again. Uh, KXP. Right. Right. And that's a, a regular thing right it is um i'm on weekly i'm kind of just doing fill-in stuff there i don't have my own permanent show yet mm -hmm. uh, i'm doing fill-in stuff so i'm kind of popping on during all different air shifts um mm -hmm. so nothing is super consistent um and i'm hoping that changes you know but i am doing that that has been i've been filling in for stevie zoom who okay. uh, is immune compromised, who doesn't feel safe um, coming into the station to do a show and getting right. there and the whole nine yards. So I've been filling in for him for the better part of eight months, nine months. Oh, wow. So as soon as the vaccine hits and he feels safe, he'll be coming back. Um, but in the meantime, I've kind of been filling in for Steve. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fun. I mean, it had been a little while since you'd, you'd done a radio show when you started doing that again, right? Yeah, yeah. it took me a while to get the hang of it again, especially because the KXP studios are complex. I mean, when yeah. you walk in there, it's like a goddamn flying an airplane or a spaceship. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> so many things going on and social media, and you've got, you know, you're responding to texts and emails, and there's just a lot going on. Um, you know, it's nothing compared to old school radio. Right. You know? I mean, you just have to sort of get the hang of it. Right. Uh, and it's taken me a while. When I first went on the air, I was fucking talking all the time. Like I, <laughs> right. They would just keep talking and telling stories. And, and then I kind of learned, okay, shut the fuck up a little bit. <laughs> like, you don't need to tell a story every break. You know, you can apply those old school radio ways without killing your audience. You know, there's people that 
I'm a very polarizing DJ at KXP. Uh, mm-hmm. People either love me or hate me. There's very little in between. Uh, <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I definitely calmed down, um, mm-hmm. you know, since I've been on the air more. And I got to credit KXP for really working to keep us safe. You know, um, we work from two different studios. So we'll have one DJ and one. We never really have to come in contact with each other at all. Oh, wow. Um, Which is just, it feels like a very safe place to work. Mm -hmm. Um, We got to scrub down the studio when we come in. We got to scrub it down when we leave. Um, I turn the air on in one of the studios just to air everything out when I leave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have pretty strict rules. Um, it's just, it's very comforting to work at that place because I feel like the people give a shit about their mm-hmm. employees there. Um, and that's refreshing. Yeah, no, absolutely. After that's working cool. in commercial radio that didn't necessarily care about their employees. Right. So. I mean, would you consider working in commercial radio again? Oh, of course. Yeah, I totally would. In fact, uh, yeah, I'm talking, you know, there's, uh, don't give out too much. Yeah. I'm trying to, <laughs> I, uh, I'm talking to some folks about doing something pretty cool. Okay. Um, excellent. Yeah. Um, and we'll see when it pans out. Um, it requires me doing a bunch of work, uh, that I haven't done yet. Hmm. Okay. So it's a sort of a, it's something that uh, is probably going to happen in the next couple of months. Great. Uh, yeah. that I'm well, you know. Probably the biggest thing I've ever done, which, Perfect. yeah, it's exciting. Good. It's exciting well, you know, ho- hopefully next time I have you on, it'll be like, yeah, you're at, yeah. at Stadia, whatever, Station right, X, whatever. Right. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, you know, if commercial radio is done right, I love it. I have to say, though, that working for a non-com um, like KXB is a loose, just, I mean, it's such a different vibe than commercial mm-hmm. radio uh, yeah. that we re- you can really just get creative. You can do real contexted radio that you weren't necessarily, I haven't necessarily been able to do uh, in commercial radio, um, mm-hmm. which is, fucking exciting but i have no problem with commercial radio again if it's done right you know right so yeah i was just thinking i've only done live radio twice i think um and one time was to promote a company that i had i had the company itself was very small but i had a great pr firm so they got me on a a talk show i can't think of the name of it i think it was on on a wkal in in new york and it was a talk show that had like a it was a ridiculous membership or, or listenership like three million people or something like that wow it was huge and and because then it was syndicated you know right. from from new york and i got in there and it was the night of their christmas party oh, so oh. i showed up Jeez. and there's booze everywhere i mean there are people passed out you know all over the you know in the hallways and shit and uh i i had to knock and knock and knock and knock and knock because i was supposed to come on at like 11 at night i think it was and their party had started at like five in the afternoon so they were just wrecked everyone completely wrecked 
And was DJ that had you on racked? No, no, he was old school. Like he had been on the air for like forty five years. You know, right, okay. cool older guy. I wish I could remember his name. Yeah. Um, but some of his guests that were supposed to be on later had shown up at the party earlier, so they were wrecked. Right. So he had no guests. He had an engineer that could barely stand up. Ah! Um, That's awesome. And this is my first time on on radio. Right. I'm supposed to do like you know I, I think I'm supposed to be on for like half an hour or something like that. Yeah. You know, just chit chat, whatever about the company, and right. Um, we got to our first break, and he's like, "Well, how are you feeling?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm, you know, I feel pretty good. This is fun. You know, the first like five minutes were terrifying, and then, right. you know, just started talking. You know, forget the on the mic in front of you, just talk." And he said, "Well, good. You're my only guest for the night." Oh my! How long were you on? Six hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> Holy crap! Wow. Six hours. Wow. Um, and I never did get a recording of it. Oh man! Because that's... I think the engineer. So they would have people randomly wander in the studio while we were doing the the taping, or the the whatever the broadcast. Right. And they would of course be like, "Oh man, it's so God, fucked we're, up," we're, you know. Like, yeah. And of course, the engineer is like, you know, but he's too, he's too drunk. He can't hit the you know the kill button, you know. And they literally had a giant red kill button. It was fucking hysterical. That's but he's awesome. too drunk to even hit that. And the host is losing his mind. He's just like, oh, my God. You know, it's like it's his name on the line, you know, if if they get fined and whatnot. And he's like, fuck. But anyway, yeah, I spent six hours and he started. He was so bored or, or you know, we were, we were trying to find topics to talk about. And it was like, you know, whatever. And he ended up calling a friend of his at like four o'clock in the morning who lived in Florida and just I forget who he was, some some music guy. And he was like. Hey, so and so, I I got this, you know, Glenn Starchman in the studio with me, and he's like, "Who? Like, you know, who the fuck is that?" He's like, "Oh, I think you guys might like each other." So we literally had a talk on the air, you know, like getting to know one another. Well, what was you your know. company again? It was a music. It was a music. It was. What was it? It was called uh, Net Music, and it was okay. a, a, a digital distribution for indie labels. Okay, that's um, right. Which is a great fucking way to lose money. Phenomenally oh. great way to lose. Didn't money. work, huh? Yeah, just didn't work. Uh, um, that sucks. It would have taken a lot of money to get it to the point to make money. Okay. Right. Um, and boy, I could talk for a good hour about that whole thing. Um, well, I did a little bit of research on you before before. Well, good. So I read good. some stuff, and at one point you uh, you were going to partner with somebody, and then that partnership went south, right? Probably audio lunchbox is what you're thinking of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those are they were good guys, like super good guys. Um, huh. They were the only one out of the whole deal who actually ever made money. Because, oh wow! Yeah, because we paid them a bunch of money up front, and wow. uh, then I couldn't raise enough to actually finish buying them off. So they got to walk away with the, the initial money I'd given them. So, you know, more power to them. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so. They... Startups, are hard. Startups are hard. I've worked yeah, for two. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's basically all I do. Like everything I do is, you know, in that realm. Um, and it's cost me, you know, two marriages and, you know, et cetera. But I can't stop it. I mean, you know, sort of that entrepreneurial spirit. You can't really snuff that out, you know? No, you can't. You, you can't. Now, why it's is like. Could you imagine like having to put a suit on and go and sit in an office? I mean, there's no way. 
Yeah, that's not something, you know, I could work in an office in a corporate scenario again, but there's no fucking way I'm wearing a suit. <laughs> no Actually, I love to wear suits. I haven't owned one in several years, but... I mean, if he had a cool, old-school Elvis Costello 80s-looking suit, <laughs> right. you know, I think that that might be kind of cool, but, you know... Uh, yeah, yeah I, I just want to wear a hoodie and jeans. Most yeah, of the why not? Why not? I mean, if you can get away with it, yeah. why not? Um, so you know, we have to talk about the end, right? Like, I, I, there, there's no getting away from it. Sure. Um, I, uh, I have a funny story, and I, honestly, I don't remember if it was you or Scott Vanderpool. It was one of the two of you. I think it was Scott, but it might have been you. Um. I may have brought this up via Facebook chat with you at some point, but um, I was baking bagels on Broadway. This is 92, I, I want to say. Um, and, you know, we were graveyard, so we were bored out of our minds. And so, you know, we just put the end on, you know, to play because, you know, you'd run out of tapes to play or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you two had just put out a new album. So it must have been what, pop, whatever. Probably. Yeah. Um, the one that I couldn't stand and, and a lot of America actually couldn't stand. But um, it, anyway, it was either you or Scott who introduced the song the first time you played on the end as there's some weird techno space music in that or something along those lines. Right. So you use the techno space music. And so my friend Jimmy and I, for almost every night for you know several months, we'd call up and hope to get through. And when we get through, we'd be like, Hey man, yeah. Can you play any of that techno space music? <laughs> and finally, whoever it was on the other end would be like, Hey, fuck you. You know, just like hung up. <laughs> Will you guys wow. stop calling us? That could have been me. That definitely could have been me. It sounds like it might have been a Vanderpool thing as well, though. It sounds more Vanderpool, I think. Yeah. But I was kind of into techno space music. <laughs> right. That <laughs> was kind of my jam at one point. That's right. Um yeah, that we had fun. You know, I, I felt like working at the end um, was so different, the experience than people have now working for commercial radio. It's just, mm -hmm. a, it was a different animal then. Uh, I worked for a company that gave me freedom to do things and I had a boss that trusted me. Uh, he didn't trust me in the beginning, trust me, but uh, he ended up trusting me. So we were able to do some really cool things, play some cool records that nobody else did, help break some bands that might not have ever been heard right. before. Um, and it was just, I always looked at the end as being, you know, I treated the end like it was uh, an A&R source. Like there was no reason, or, or like it was a record label. Mm -hmm. And the bands that we played were bands I was signing. And I tried to, you know, help develop those bands even outside the station, um, you know, so that it paid off for us, you know, smaller bands. I would like try to put them on bigger bills. If we had them in rotation, I'd try to, you know, make sure they were playing in fast. I'd make sure they were, you know, that they got the kind of attention that commercial, you would think commercial radio would, you know, uh, deliver for them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was lucky. We were lucky that we started doing radio at a time that everything was about to explode. 
And the company right. I worked for sort of knew that, you know, Sub Pop had sort of laid the foundation um, and the bands, you know, here in town laid the foundation and we were just, it was the perfect storm, man. Being here at the right time with them allowing us to have freedom. I always also felt like the end was a, was commercial radio, but we were kind of a cross between more of a college format where right. we Definitely. could play new and weird shit and play it a lot, you know? Right. Um, so it was a different, it was a different model, you know, definitely a different thing than commercial radio is now, yeah, um, which, you know, it is what it is. Things change. Um, I've always felt like commercial radio could incorporate, uh, more of that, you know, supporting the local scene, um, supporting small bands, helping build artist careers um and i'm just not sure commercial radio looks at their role as being that <laughs> right. um you know their well, role it's, for them is something different it's definitely an industry that needs to you know reimagine itself right um and i know this like you know like well like kxp you know they're, they're even though they're not commercial radio per se um they definitely play with the big boys you know and yeah. you know that they, they like i said you know they, they spearheaded basically the, the entire you know online radio broadcast thing you know whereas yeah. a lot of people before were they'd pre-record a show and then they'd put it up there you know kxp right. is like right. hey you know it's just live you know tune in and listen i had no idea how many people listen all over the world until i did a late night show and that's when the time zones change, right? So oh, yeah. when I'm on at midnight, people are just getting to work in the UK. Right. So I have more, you know, so if I'm doing a 10 p.m. to a 1 a.m. shift, those 10 p.m. To, to midnight hours that you would think more people would be listening mm -hmm. uh, are rough. 11 o'clock is rough. All of a sudden, clock strikes midnight. And I'm getting a million tech, not a million, but I'm getting a right. lot of texts and emails from the UK. And the mm -hmm. moment I even put that out there and start reading, you know, so-and-so from New Zealand, so-and-so from Germany, so-and-so from Paris uh, is listening and wanted to hear this, they just start flooding in. Um, and it's, great. it's an eye-opening experience. Once I went on the air and said, hey, you know, oh, I, I was talking about being tired. And I was doing a late night shift. Somebody wrote me back. It was like, we're just waking up. You saying you're tired doesn't help <laughs> us start our day. And I was like, wow, okay. So I read that email on the air. And then the flood of emails from all over the world came in. And it really opened my eyes that KEXP has developed this worldwide uh, listening base that's incredible. Right. Like, I feel like KEXP is more than a radio station, it's almost become like a collective in a way. It has, um, yeah. You know, sort of a worldwide music collective. And, you know, we do broadcasts from all of these different cities all over the world, and we're only stepping that up. I mean, COVID took us back a couple notches, but, right. you know, we're our plans, uh, the evolution of KXP is gonna be very interesting over the next decade.
people yeah. are going to be very surprised at some of the plans KEXP has. Um, I can't wait. Oh, it's exciting. Great. It's really exciting. Um, it feels, honest to God, it feels like when we were doing the end. Like we were kind of inventing as we went. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing, you know? We mm -hmm. just kept doing it and trying new things. And um, and this feels a lot like that. Um, That's great. Yeah. People are willing to get weird at KXP. And I love it. Yeah. So, speaking of getting weird, um, you've probably talked about or been asked about this, you know, ad nauseum, but um, the Pearl Jam versus scenario. Yeah. <laughs> so I I immediately thought when I when I heard about it for some somehow I missed that. I don't know how, you know, I mean, being in Seattle and at that time and whatnot, but I, I, I didn't even know that had happened up until like a few years ago. Um, right about the time. Well, yeah, the time I saw the, the glam and the squalor. Yeah. Um, and I probably heard about it, but you know, yeah, um, had blocked it out or whatever. Um, anyway, and so I was thinking about that today. It's like, you know, you, you sort of are like the, the spiritual ancestor of, of uh, what's his name, Alan Free, right? Like the, that, I think if he had lived in, in the nine or been doing radio in the 90s, that's the sort of shit he would have pulled. Right. Right. Just like completely outrageous and just like, well, fuck you. I'm just going to do this. Yeah. You know, looking back, um, we did it because it was exciting. It brought attention to the station. It brought attention to the bands. Mm -hmm. um, so many record labels would say to me, you know, we have to pretend that we're mad at you, you know, mm -hmm. with our bosses, but you've created the biggest buzz around this record because you've leaked it that, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of labels would be like, now we have to deal with all the other inter stations nationally stations in your market being pissed off that you know we have to jump through hoops to appease them now but you know but thanks you know you've right. created a buzz um and yeah we leaked that record um i you know so kurt cobain is in my documentary they found a clip of him talking about me leaking in utero and i've never seen that clip all these years, I'd never seen this interview. And he was, <laughs> I remember he and Courtney calling me being super pissed off that I got a copy of the record uh, that weren't the final mixes by any means. Um, and that we were playing these rough Albini punk rock mixes without the strings in them, without, you know, the, the polishing and the mixing and, and uh, whatever. And then Kurt was kind of like, you know, Kurt thought that it was sort of a punk rock move to pull um, and thought it was somewhat humorous. But what bothered me about that is I thought, man, were we exposing, were we playing shit that like didn't sound good? Like, were we playing, you know, sure. the spirit of the vibe bigger than, than the music? Like, should we, should we have respected the fact that maybe that music wasn't ready to be heard that, then? Um, I look back on that. 
you know, dude, I look back on a lot of shit in my life and think, yeah, maybe I would have done that a little differently. Or maybe I wouldn't have, you know. Um, I, I wanted to be a friend of the artists. I didn't want to piss off bands. Um, you know, so when I saw that clip of Kurt talking about that, I was like, a little embarrassed, you know, sure. that, I mean, because, because my intentions there were to, it wasn't about blowing Nirvana up. It was about blowing us up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? no. Yeah. I get that. I get that. <laughs> um, so, you know, mm. sure. Fucking fun to do though, man. I mean, like that shit, like leaking records, uh, back mm. in the day, was a really big deal because we had to we had to really prepare for it we had to do mm -hmm. it right we had to keep it a secret we had to put promos on the air that said listen this friday at 5 p.m the reason we picked fridays to leak stuff is because all the lawyers had gone home all the right. record labels had gone home so mm -hmm. nobody was there to stop us right. and this was kind of pre-cell phones when we started doing this. So the way that label stopped you was either calling you and saying you have to stop. Right. Or, or faxing a cease and desist notice from the attorneys. Right. And, you know, so we would unplug the fax machine. Uh, so we couldn't get faxes. I love and it. And we'd busy out, you could busy out all the lines so oh. that uh, people get busy signals when they're trying to call the request line or the offices. So, I mean, we went to great lengths. We locked the building. When I did the Pearl Jam record, I went down and talked to the security guy and said, listen, there's something happening here and you cannot let it, we're doing it after 5 p.m. There's <laughs> gonna be people that are gonna try to get into the building. You cannot let people in. Uh, and he ended up letting uh, Epic Records rep in anyway because she bribed him with CDs and concert <laughs> tickets. So he let her in. She fought her way in. She tried kicking the front door of the station open. I mean, the shit was serious. Oh, yeah. um, I do remember I did this with the Pearl Jam record. I knew she was coming. I knew she was getting closer because my boss called me and said that she was pounding on his door and then walking around his home, pounding on the windows. Wow. Like it was a big deal to record labels to leak a record as early as the end leaked records. Mm -hmm. So he said that he had turned all the lights off in his house and was hiding. And he was calling me from his basement going, she's still outside. So she's going to be coming. And I'm hiding in my basement. <laughs> I'm like, this is <laughs> Awesome. It's so much fun, man. He's calling me on the air on the hotline. Nobody has that number. Uh, and so what I did is I I record when you when you uh play this stuff on the air, you're not just playing it from a cassette, you're and uh digital files didn't exist. Uh you are playing it, um you put them on carts, these little eight track carts, all the right. songs. So I had a stack of of the whole record. Uh, and I knew she was coming in and I knew she would take those fucking carts. So I made a fake <laughs> stack and put all the names on the <laughs> carts and put them up on the thing. So she walks in, she's like, ah, you know, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Give me this shit. 
And I'm like, you got me, you got me, take them, take them. She takes the carts. I wait for about a half hour to make sure she's all the way back in West Seattle at this point. And then I just pull out the carts and start again. It was, we just had a good time, man. We had a good time. It was fun. It, uh, we got a lot of shit and it, it was fun, you know? I mean, did, did anybody lose their jobs over it, or is it nobody lost their like jobs? A... I think my boss talked to more uh, CEOs and label presidents than he probably wanted to. <laughs> right, know, he hid from those calls. But um, wow, you know, shit that I've done. And I do remember I was in San Diego. This wasn't the end. Um, one of my favorite radio moves ever is. I was working at an alternative station in San Diego called 91X. And we uh, had, so we were a building, Clear Channel had a building that attached to ours. So Clear Channel ran their station, uh, all their stations out of their spot. We had our spot. So the record rep was like, hey, I've got Pink coming to the top 40 station to tape something. Do you want to, do you guys, we're going to do a video viewing and I'm catering it. Do your employees want to come? And I was like, yeah, our employees would love to come. She's going to be there. Oh, fantastic. You know, I, I'm a fan of Pink, first of all. Uh, and uh, I was like, would she go on the air with me? And and mm -hmm. this label rep is like, you want her on an alternative station? I'm like, yeah, I do afternoon drive. I, I'd love to have her on all the while planning every move and, oh no <laughs> yeah so i was told the morning show on the big top 40 giant station is taping something with her for the next morning so whatever i do i can't scoop them my my i have to also tape mine that'll run after theirs because of course they get exclusivity to pink one of the biggest artists for them right so i was on <laughs> Uh, I had already met her earlier in the afternoon at the video thing and we hit it off in a big way. So I knew this was going to go over. Uh, and, and I kept like fucking with her going, I've got some, something planned for you. It's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. And she loved 91. She loved the station. She had listened to it. She loves reggae. She's got one of the best rock voices I've ever heard. Like raspy. Really? just real like bluesy, amazing voice. So I had heard all this acoustic stuff that she had done with Tim from Rancid. So uh, <laughs> I reached out to uh, Jason Mraz, uh guitar player. Uh, and I was like, hey, the night before, I'm like, can you learn this song just like and show up at the studio tomorrow? It. Like, can you just learn this one song? He's like, no problem, man. Shows up at the studio, is waiting. Pink comes in. My assistant goes and locks the door. So she's locking the label out of the studio. <laughs> and the label can't totally hear what's going on in the hallways. Uh, and so I have Pink on. I haven't, I haven't told Pink I'm going to do this. And <laughs> she knows Perfect. something's coming. And she had had a couple of cocktails beforehand. Mm -hmm. and all the label folks are in the hallway and they've already taped the or maybe they hadn't even taped it with the top 40 yet so <laughs> i go live 
I, I go live. I'm going to scoop it. those motherfuckers, first of all. And uh, and I get on. I'm like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I had been teasing my audience for three hours that this pop star was going to be on. People were guessing and had people calling in saying, who is it, Britney Spears? Like, who do you have? <laughs> like, just I knew it would create some fucking controversy. So right. I had her on and I'm like, listen, uh, first of all, nice to have you here. Let's explain why you're here, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know, what? I, I'm a fan and I don't think people realize how great your voice is. You know, pop stars, people think that's all made in the studio. But right. you've, got the, you've got the pipes. I know you do. I've heard you do acoustic stuff. And so what I'm wondering is, this is my friend, uh, this is my friend here who plays with Jason Mraz, Pete, uh, would you be willing to sing live and prove to my audience that you can, that you've got a voice? Mm -hmm. And she just looks at me and she's like, live on the radio at 5 p.m. at drive time in San Diego. And she's like, right. wait, all of this? And you just want me to sing? She's like, dude, this is what I signed up for. And oh, so he launches into this fucking song, no rehearsal at all. Mm -hmm. And she belts this song out on the air. No wow. effect on her voice. The label is pounding on the stage. 